This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Start. <laughs> no, my hearty, my, and welcome to our changing world. Got Alison Balancer, ho. We're in the middle of Conservation Week, and I'm sure many of you have done or are going to be doing something for it. We're going to market tonight by joining a coastal clean-up. Then we're going to go bush to find out what's happened to native bird numbers in the Zealandia Sanctuary since predators were removed almost 20 years ago. First up, the annual Wellington South Coast clean-up turned nine this year. On Saturday, nearly 400 people descended on the capital's much-loved south coast, from Orfedo Bay, round past Lyle Bay, Moore Point as far as Breaker Bay, to pick up rubbish. Old and young, they wandered the sandy beaches, clambered around the rocks, and fossicked under roadside bushes in a massive spring clean. I went along to, well, admire their hard work. Awesome. Where'd you find that? Going a long way along that way. Oh, well done. Thank you. Done. Um, we were at Black We found 22 along that stretch of road and then one on the beach. And from here, are they? They're all in there. Crikey. What's your name? Isabel. And you sound like you're collecting all these cigarette butts. Oh. <laughs> it's a revolting jar of them there. It is a revolting jar of them. I don't particularly want to take them home. <laughs> I just thought we'd collect them up and then we can see them and add them to the rest of the count. And, Absolutely, of course you can. Yeah, they're revolting. And it's amazing where they wash up and in amongst the seaweed and the rocks and sometimes you miss them, especially when they've lost their little orange case off them, but... Yeah, and that gross. Bit doesn't break down, does no, it? No, it doesn't, and it harbors a whole lot of toxins that are really gross. And if the fish are then eating them, if these are floating around, it's yeah, not good for them at all. So where are they all coming from? People don't realise that all our stormwater drains head out to the oceans eventually, so they flip them out the car windows, all sorts of stuff. Um, kind of just yeah, treating our drains like a, a rubbish bin when really they shouldn't be. <laughs> What are the other bags of rubbish you've got there? Is that just um, random rubbish? Yeah, lots of random rubbish. I was kind of looking in amongst the seaweed that's washed up, so I found heaps of little bits of broken rubbish, so bottle caps, um, yeah, lots of little bits, lots of lollipop sticks today. And then the plastic packaging that you can find around cardboard boxes, a bit of that washed up in the seaweed. Um, even a little um, plastic little float off, I think someone said it was off a fishing line, looked like a little bead. Um, so lots of, lots of tiny stuff in amongst the rocks. What's your name, by the way? Um, I'm Sarah Catrala. Now tell me about the really big piece of rubbish you've got there. It's a cement mixer. 
it was it was hiding in the bushes just over there, and a couple of guys come around taking the photographs. They uh, spotted it and decided to haul it out. So I don't know how many years it's been there, but it's, um, yes, pretty ugly piece of kit, isn't it? <laughs> it is. And what else have we got in that pile? Uh, just roofing iron, old dollies, metal dollies from uh, dinghies. The one thing we did find last year was was the top of a um, funeral home ashes box. <laughs> Nothing like that this year. But, you know, concrete and reinforcing iron. Yeah, plastic. Not, not so bad this year, I have to say. Compared to last year, I think it's getting better. And where we are here with the... Um, as a dive site, the snorkel trail, you've got a lot less smokers. Divers don't tend to smoke, so we've got less cigarette butts and a lot less plastics, so divers are pretty aware. What's your name, by the way? Mike. And um, just going back to the plastic, what kinds of plastic are you finding? Uh, just everything you'd expect. Yeah, lots of this. Oh, that strapping tape yeah, that goes strapping around. Tape. I found um, lots of that. Lots of building materials, um, packagings. There's bits of a skateboard. Bits Your plastic bottles, bottles as, you, as you'd expect. Yeah. Um, um, lots of bottle tops. Bottle tops. Lots of bottle tops. Anything and everything. <laughs> now, I'm pleased to see, I've helped out on the South Coast cleanup before, and I'm pleased to see they're actually using compostable bags this year, so that's yeah, a good which thing. Which is really awesome <laughs> to see. Yeah, no and, point putting um, the rubbish into a plastic bag. For it, a a coffee firm has donated the, um, the sacks, the biodegradable sacks, so we, we can reuse those. Now, can you tell me who you're with? Uh, with the friends of uh, Tupperunga Marine Reserve. Now, this is a big year for you. Yeah, 10th anniversary. Yes. Ha- happy birthday. Thank you, yes, it's been going a fair while. It's really good now. You can see underwater the, the cracks just full of crayfish and there's powers. You can't put your hand down without finding a power or something like that. So how long have you been involved with the friends for? Uh, three years, myself, yeah. And what kind of things do the friends get up to when you're not oh, we just, around in we, the water? We help look after the Marine Reserve. We support different activities like Sierra's Mountains to Sea, anything to do with marine education, just looking after it. Also Coast Watch, keep an eye on for poaching. It does happen. It's a bit of a temptation for some people. But we've got a lot of friendly eyes on the reserve. So whilst we're living close to a big city, we've got a lot of friendly eyes who live right beside the coast and they're very quick to ring up Doc and and say, hey, we've got something suspicious going on. Or they'll just go and talk to somebody and say, hey, look, do you realise it's a marine reserve and you can't fish here? Tell me about Mountains to the Sea. So we're a charitable trust here in Wellington who do both marine and freshwater education um, with schools throughout the area. So we, in the summertime we spend a lot of our time bringing students down to the marine reserve um, to go snorkelling, to kind of discover what's out here, um, and then the students will... After they've kind of looked at what's here, start thinking about what could they do to kind of help out the marine environment and um, they'll come up with some sort of action project. So we've been doing a bit in the last couple of years with stormwater pollution um, and getting kids actually trapping rubbish as it goes down their stormwater drains and then using that to kind of teach you know, their local communities about what they could do to try and help with the pollution problem. So, yeah, heaps of, heaps of cool stuff with snorkelling and getting the kids excited. Cool. Well, I might just go and have a chat to some of the other people who have been picking up rubbish to find out... <laughs> To find out why they're here and what yeah, they're going to find out. No, it's awesome to see lots of people, which is really cool. <laughs> so you just turned up with a bag of rubbish? Yes. It's under this tree. All of that's from under one tree? Yes. And actually, once you think you're finished, you look back and go, oh, I'm done with this. Oh, no, 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 there's still more. There's so much, eh? Small pieces of shit. Yep. I mean, lots of plastic cans. Yeah, coffee cups. Yeah, lids for one-use coffee cups. What's your name, by the way? Ronell. Ronell. And what's motivated you to come down today? 
Uh, oh, I participate in all of the cleanups that I can. Um, keeps our coastline clean, and it's just you know do your do your bit. <laughs> That's uh, why we do this. So you're getting your bag emptied and you're going to head out again? I am indeed. I think the tree right next to the tree that I was just is just as dirty. <laughs> oh, good on you. Well done. Thank you. So you've been picking up rubbish? Um, yep. What did you find? Um, we found loads of um, polystyrene balls from a bean bag, we think. That took forever. But you picked them all up? Uh, every, most every of them. Everyone you could find. <laughs> everyone we could find, and the grass had been growing on top of it, so we kept on finding some more. So do you come down and do this every year? Yes, I've been coming since it started, whenever that was. Is it getting better? Oh, it's heaps better. We're just commenting on it. Um, there's almost no rubbish left. Um, it used to be a matter of walking 10 metres and having a couple bags full, and now it's much, much better. And uh, We went around the, the, the roadside, which is normally where a lot of the windblown rubbish comes in, and even that was really clean, so it was really cool to see. Excellent. And what do you like about the south coast here? What motivates you to come down and take part in a clean-up like this? Oh, it's just beautiful. It's beautiful and serene, and even though we're right in the capital... I dive down here, it's got really good fish life as well, and just walking on the beach all the time, that's, um, that's beautiful. And it's always changing as well with the, the wonderful Wellington weather, um, so that's, that's really cool as well, it's always different. Thanks Sophie, and thanks to everyone from the Friends of Tapu Tauranga Marine Reserve, which was one of more than 12 community groups giving Wellington's south coast a spring clean at the weekend. And coordinator Helen Kettles reports that despite more people than ever taking part, the overall amount of rubbish was much less than previously, which is excellent news, although there was still an enormous number of cigarette butts. Well over 800 were collected, and that's just the tip of the butt iceberg. Kei te whakaronga mai koe ki tō tātou au horihori, hei hōtaka e pānaki a papa tuanuku tangaroa meirangi nui. I'm Alison Balance, and here on Our Changing World, we are marking Conservation Week. Te wiki tiaki ao tūroa. This year the theme is Conservation Week is Calling, or karanga mai, karanga atu, te wiki tiaki ao tūroa. Now I'm off to Zelandia Sanctuary in Wellington to meet te papa bird expert Colin Muskelly. He's just published a paper on how bird populations here have changed since a predator-proof fence was erected in what was once a water catchment for the city. The paper is based on nearly 6,000 five-minute bird counts made by many volunteers from Birds New Zealand. A five-minute bird count, as the name suggests, simply involves counting every bird you can hear or see in a five-minute period. So as we stood enjoying the avian cacophony at Zelandia, I asked Colin what he could hear. Well, probably the main call we're hearing here at the moment is kaka, which is, it's almost the soundscape of Wellington these days. You know, we just almost take it for granted, but you know, 20 years ago you'd be so excited to hear a kaka in Wellington, and now they're just everywhere. And, yeah, it's magic. And of course that's the whitehead, Popocatia. So one of the commoner birds in here, but unless you know your bird calls, you'd probably overlook them because they're up in the canopy and just doing their own thing, not making a big fuss and show the way that some of the other species do. But 
they're, they're one of the success stories in here. And of course that's just the Tui, which is the, the other sound of Wellington City. They're so common all through Wellington now. Colin, cast your mind back 20, 30 years. What was this place like? Yeah, it was quite different, obviously. There's no, no fence here. Uh, it was really just a, a great idea that Jim Lynch at the time was kicking around, you know, what could we do to bring the birds back to Wellington and settled upon this idea of, of creating a pest-proof or pest-resistant fence around a block of bush. And at the time, people didn't really know, can you do that? You know, it was a completely new concept. And so in 1995, I think it was, I took it on to organise some bird counts in here, which took a bit of convincing the local bird watchers, you know, members of Birds New Zealand, to come into a patch of scruffy old bush on the edge of Wellington City to count common birds, because that's all that was here at the time. You know, we were literally counting hundreds of silver eyes and blackbirds and chaffinches. But it was all about laying the groundwork so that we'd be able to measure the changes that happened once the fence was put in. So these are the pretty common birds, mostly introduced, a few native species that you'll see in most towns and cities yeah, in New Zealand. Yeah, it's, it's pretty much what you get in your garden, you know, particularly if you've got a nice patch of scrub nearby. It's a mixture of introduced species, as we've already mentioned, blackbirds and chaffinches and things like dunnocks that maybe people don't really know quite as well but also just a few robust natives that, again, are pretty common in people's gardens. You know, silver eyes have come to a lot of people's feeders in their backyards, but fantails and grey warblers are reasonably common through New Zealand cities, and, you know, they were just some of the birds that we were in here counting. So you counted for how many years? Well, that first block of counts was three years, between 1995 and 1998, and we managed to complete them about a year before the fence was built. So the Zealandia fence here was finished in 1999. So we're and looking at 19 years of fence Yeah, now. yeah. And so we waited three years after the fence to let a, a new equilibrium establish. And then we did another three-year block of counts between about 2002 and 2005. And the key point there is that that's before all of these reintroduced species, the saddlebacks and the robins and the kakara, and the whiteheads had really taken off. So that first two block of counts was really just looking at what had happened when you get rid of the rats and the stoats and the possums. And the really intriguing result there was that not much changed. So there was one species, which was tui, which did really, really well. So they suddenly started increasing. But pretty much everything else that was here before the fence didn't change much when we got rid of all the mammals. And that was a bit unexpected. You know, we thought, you know, if you think of all these pictures of rats eating fantails on nests, you'd think if you get rid of the predators... Everything would explode. ...that everything would increase, but that didn't happen. And it suggests that for a lot of these common, sort of robust species that can cope with predators, they're not actually limited by predators. They're, They're probably limited by food supply. And so particularly things like fantails, when you get a bad winter you know, stormy conditions and not many insects flying. That's really what affects fantails. And so, sure, some of them get eaten on their nests by rats, but if you get rid of the rats and stoats, it's the food supply that's actually limiting the fantails, not predation. Whereas for Tui, you said they responded really well, so they clearly did. predators were having an impact on yeah, them. Yeah, so Tui were obviously robust enough that they did hang on around the city, but everyone who lives in Wellington knows just how dramatically the... The Tui population's increased over the last 20 years or so. And you've got to recognise that that's not just Zealandia, that 
this, the regional council has been doing really effective possum and rat control around all of the reserves around the city. And as a result, tui have, have increased hugely around Wellington, to the extent now that there are as many tui outside the fence here at Zealandia as there are inside. So creating the sanctuary, as you say, was a three-step process. One, build the fence. Two, get rid of the introduced things like rats, stoats, possums. Three, you've touched on it, bring back some of our rarer, more endemic birds. Oh, absolutely. Getting rid of the rats and the stoats and the possums made relatively little difference to the resident birds, but bringing back abundant, vibrant populations of lots of our endemic birds, you know, the ones we've talked about, the robins and the saddlewacks and the hee-hee. And, and the, the kaka that we can hear kaka, flying yeah. around. That's what made a difference. Suddenly all of those birds that have been there all along became a lot more scarce, and there's way fewer introduced species and silver-eyes and fantails and grey warblers in here now than there were 20 years ago. So you've been back and you've counted again, in a, like a third block of counts, and so in that count, that, that's when you're seeing the fantail and silver-eye numbers drop. Everything else that's been introduced here, though, is doing pretty well. If you come in here now and do bird counts, the five commoner species that we pick up are tui, which was here all along, and then the next four are all species that were reintroduced. So that's the kaka, whitehead, saddleback and robin, are all among the top five or six species that are in here, which is just marvellous. You know, when you think we're only a couple of kilometres from the beehive and you can just walk into this little patch of forest and nearly everything you see in here around you are our deep endemic New Zealand birds. It's a real, real success story. So the silver eyes and the fantails, what's happened to them? Have they just been out-competed? Uh, well, they're still here. You know, they're, they're not even rare. It's, it's more a reflection that they used to be super abundant in scrubby margins around Wellington. So when we first came in here in the mid to late 90s, over half of the individual birds we counted were silver eyes. I recall on one occasion standing at one count station of ha- having a flock of 105 silver eyes pass through during one five-minute count, which is an astonishing number of birds to count in five minutes, and they're all one species. And if you come in here now, you might get one or two silver eyes per count. So they're still here, they're still common, but their actual numbers have declined hugely now that they're being, I suppose, subjected to competition from, from all of these other uh, endemic New Zealand birds that have been brought back. Um, in terms of how long some of these things might have been in New Zealand, silver eyes, they're relatively recent, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, they, they're very recent. They only turned up in New Zealand in the 1850s. And so they're a classic example of a, a generalist, a, a species that does really well in a whole range of habitats, but when they're exposed to competitors, uh, so in this case the deep endemic New Zealand birds, they don't do so well. What about fantails and grey warblers? How long have they been here? Yeah, they're, they're, again, fairly recent arrivals. They're quite similar to their Australian counterparts. And the significance of that ecologically is it means that they would have evolved in ecosystems where they're, they're coping with mammal predators, mammalian predators, and also, in Australia's case, there's lots of snakes. So they have evolved breeding systems where they produce lots of eggs, lots of chicks. They can breed many times in a season. So you know, a fantail pair could easily produce three or four broods of young in a year, and each of those might have four or five chicks. So that's 
potentially 20 little fantails flying around after one breeding season. And if you compare that with things like the teaki, the, the saddleback, they'll be lucky to get one or two chicks away in one breeding season. And that's part of the reason why these recent arrivals in New Zealand, which includes all the introduced birds, you know, the blackbirds and the chaffinches, can cope with predators, is that they can breed quickly and produce a lot of young so they can make up for the losses. Whereas the, the deep endemic New Zealand birds tend to have very small clutch sizes and breed very slowly. But the reason they've evolved that way is that they produce a few high-quality offspring that can compete with other birds. You know, that's what the whole New Zealand sort of forest ecosystem was about, was having to find your niche and shoulder your way in uh, to find a territory or a home because, you know, there's just so many birds in the environment. And so having a few high-quality offspring was what led to winners under that scenario. And that's what we're recreating here, is by getting rid of the predators and then bringing back those deep endemics. They are the ones that are coming out on top because they know how to exploit the ecosystem here, how to find the food. And you know, because I've had millions of years of coevolution, they can recognise the little fruits and the, where the insects are hiding. And these recent arrivals from other countries haven't quite got that sussed and are the ones that just gradually fizzle out. I'm just smiling because it's probably too quiet to hear on my recorder, but I was just listening to a grey warbler then, <laughs> busily proving that, that it's still as here. As I said, they're still here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're not concerned about any of these species becoming threatened. And interesting, they're, they're all still really common around the Wellington cityscape because we've got a, a great series of counts that have been uh, done in city reserves over the last five or six years, uh, which are done in November every year. And I've shown that all of these species that we've shown, you know, there's about 17 species have declined here in the sanctuary, but they've all persisted in typical numbers outside the fence. So it's not a Wellington city-wide effect that we're measuring here. It's a, it's a Zealandia-specific effect that if you bring back the competing endemic birds, the introduced bird species and silver-eye fantail grey warbler decline compared to their previous numbers. Thanks, Colin. Now, long-term data sets like this are great for revealing how ecosystems change over time. I asked Danielle Shanahan, Manager for Conservation and Research at Zelandia, what she thought of the study's results and how the sanctuary has changed in the last two decades. So it's quite a vast difference from what you would have found 20 years ago. 20 years ago you might have, you know, about 40%, 50% maybe of the species, the bird species that you've seen would have been native. Today, over 90%. So massive change in just 20 years. I don't know that anyone anticipated this result. Certainly starting out the century, you know, I guess the imagining was that everything would be flourishing and, and doing incredibly well. So I think it's from an ecologist's perspective, as I am of course, it's incredibly interesting to see how this ecosystem is finding some balance, how things are shifting in numbers, increasing or decreasing. So certainly surprising, but incredibly interesting. Thanks, Danielle. That was Danielle Shanahan from Zelandia, and we also heard Colin Miskelly from Te Papa. You can find more information about Zelandia and about this research at our webpage, rnz.co.nz slash Our Changing World. Now, if you're on the hunt for more science podcasts, well, you're in luck. Our audio archive, just click the Episodes tab to find it, turns 13 this week. That's right. 
we have 13 years of Our Changing World back catalogue available for you to listen to. Have fun exploring. And if you're not already following along with us on Facebook and Twitter, you can find us at RNZ Science. Now, just before I go, I am super keen to hear from you about viruses. What would you like to know about them? Do you have any viral experiences that you'd be happy to share? If you're currently suffering through a cold or the flu, would you keep a very short audio diary? Drop me a line at ourchangingworld at rnz.co.nz or download the RNZ VoxPop app to your smartphone and start recording. It's very simple. OK, that's the show. Thanks for listening. But for now, it's good night from me, Alison Balance. Kia pai tō pō.